Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. We're coming to you a little bit later, apologies for that, but uh, it's just been a bit of a whirlwind week. But uh, we're here regardless to wrap up the Austrian Grand Prix for you from last week. It's hard to believe that it's already been run and done. And then the British Grand Prix will preview that for you as well and talk about all the other news um, making the headlines this week. So Baden, thanks for joining me as always. I'm Jawad and let's get straight into it because, yeah, you know, Austrian Grand Prix was already seven days ago and here we are. Uh, wrapping it up for you finally and it was uh, one for Red Bull to remember with Max Verstappen taking the win at the Red Bull ring <sighs> well where do we start it feels like we've just been in this vortex of action and uh, leg three out of three come 24 hours time I think collectively not just our end but more significantly all those teams they'll be enjoying uh, what is uh, I guess uh, based on the last few weeks a rare weekend off so it'll, it'll be nice to get through this evening at Britain but more on that later and I guess it does feel like a long time ago oddly enough for Austria and quite a race that was and we thought early on it was going to be one of those typical Mercedes um, dominant afternoons but that wasn't to be the case and we saw really Max Verstappen probably amend all the um, the mishaps he had in the early part of his season. Yeah well he's had a good run of late you could say with the podiums that he had in the lead up to this race and um, finally getting that win under his belt for the first for 2018 as well and for Red Bull as well to win their first race at their home circuit too it's uh, something that would have set the fans uh, over excitement I guess so talk about the race itself so there was mayhem across the 71 laps both Mercedes retired from the race ultimately and mechanical failures you know first time since I think 1955 since both Mercedes running in a Grand Prix have had retirements due to mechanical failures so it's a pretty significant moment there and for the championship too, you know, Hamilton, zero points, Bottas, zero points, and as a result, Sebastian Vettel takes the, the lead of the championship as well, coming out of that race again, you know, this sort of tic-tac-toe, whatever, seesaw we see in the standings at the moment, and also to point out too, it's their first retirement, Mercedes, since 2016, when Hamilton and Rosberg came together. Yeah, I think that it might be an indication for Mercedes how relentless they are now, being forced to to push, not that in 2017 that they really um, had, had an easy run, you could say, but th- this year really is seeing that Ferrari more so at those traditional circuits where Mercedes has been used to success, that they're having to fight that much deeper. And uh, on this occasion, we really thought that they were, they were streets ahead. All the indications were there after those um, opening few laps, but clearly um, the strain is on and uh, it gets to them and it... Uh, manifest not just in the, that reliability stakes but maybe strategically as well with that that blunder now uh, and much humility from the chief strategist there and, and James Vowles who owned up to to his error but we did see again got a certainly a flustered Lewis Hamilton in response yeah that he did but um speaking of that whole incident with the um public apology you could say was it called for did it did it have to be done and I guess you know the pressure that Lewis Hamilton puts on his team or whatever you could say that you know very brave of Vowles to step up and then accept the blame but whatnot but it I guess it adds the drama but is it a bit too Hollywood that you know that he had to do that like you know other teams say, I mean, uh, Christian Horner came out after the race and said that, you know, um, 
the team basically threw, or Hamilton threw his uh, man under the bus, basically, and that wouldn't be seen at any other team without any repercussions. So, um, you know, Hamilton, I guess, you know, sometimes greater than the sum of his parts, you could say, and in this case, c- clearly is. Whether it's a, maybe a split 50-60-40 driver team and on this occasion he was quite ropeable and he had, had to really um, bite his tongue, you can say, based on that communication and not too long after that Val's owned up to his, his role there and I guess the rest of it is history but for what it is, once off you can see that uh, some of internally uh, Val's doesn't feel as though he's going to be uh, thrown under the bus in a, a job security perspective uh, it's just one of those things human error it does happen and, and clearly Lewis Hamilton <laughs> shows once again that uh, as much as he has it under control when he's leading when things don't go his way he uh, can lose his cool very quickly well um, let's talk about the incident anyway like why it, or like how it led to that anyway so Lewis Hamilton led from the first corner despite Bottas being on pole, his first pole of the year, you could say too. Um, and then the first round of pit stops came under the virtual safety car. So we had the virtual safety car out uh, to clear up a bit of debris. And then we saw Ferrari and Red Bull call in both cars at the same time to to stack and to pit, uh, whilst Mercedes didn't uh, call Hamilton in. So, you know, I guess that everyone was a bit perplexed by that at the time, saying, you know, why didn't they pit him at the uh, at the uh, under the VSC? Uh, was he in that window to do it? That was another question, and a lot of numbers were crunched to to realise that, yeah, I guess it was marginal at the time, and I guess then, you know, Val's making the call that it was his fault that he didn't see that happening, so I guess that's why Hamilton was a bit shocked to see that he was behind um, after he did make his first pit stop, his uh, first of two pit stops, mind you, um, that he was behind the likes of Max Verstappen, Kimi Raikkonen um, after that first round of pit stops. Well, the same thing happened in China, didn't it, as well, where he didn't come in for that stop under the virtual safety car again. And I guess back then it was what definitively was found out was the fact that, you know, his track position was in the wrong... He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So whilst the likes of Verstappen, Ricardo, or whatever were able to come in and pit straight away because they were just outside the pit lane when the safety car came out. Hamilton was on the other side of the track and couldn't react the same way. So I guess, you know, it's those little things that I guess are going to determine how these situations pan out. And in the end, it it didn't work for Hamilton. He came back out behind a Ferrari and a Red Bull, and two Red Bulls, in fact. But um, then 
there was a lot of tyre troubles as well because uh, he and Daniel Ricciardo, Lewis Hamilton, that is, had high blistering on those front tyres and they both were forced into making that second stop. And then after that, both drivers, unfortunately, ended up having mechanical failures. So Ricciardo out of the race, Hamilton out of the race. Sebastian Vettel, one of the highlights of the race, you could say, he was put down in the field due to that grid penalty for impeding Carlos Sainz in qualifying. He actually had to overtake Hamilton on track, which was really good to see as well. You know, both fighting for track position, Vettel getting the elbows out, not making a hash of it like previously we would have seen. And yeah, pretty significant moment in the championship too. And I guess when you see how things panned out afterwards with Hamilton not finishing the race, Vettel coming back from the penalty, uh, lower on the grid to finish on the podium, I guess, yeah, it was a, a significant race that Ferrari had won, even though they didn't actually win the race itself. Yeah, you can claim that the tyres roll in the, the race uh, probably um, mitigated the fallout from Mercedes' strategic error there, and you can say that it was fully earned Vettel uh, managing that rubber so much better than Hamilton, who pitted later than, than all of the cars who ended up ahead of him there, and yet he was the first one to, to suffer that um, degradation. So you can see that um, for whatever reason, Mercedes probably would have been on, on track to have been devoured at, at any rate after pit stops without failure for, for Bottas and then Hamilton in those closing laps. And uh, you can see perhaps on the, the side of Hamilton's perspective, the fact that Vettel could only manage third and there was no late switch there with Raikkonen, that those three extra points, who knows in the, the later context how crucial that might be. But 15 points as opposed to 25 it wasn't the worst case scenario and you can just see that looking through to, to, to the finish there Max Verstappen ultimately uh, kudos to him where uh, we thought Ferrari were going to really um, just come and really take him and put him back into perhaps as low as third uh, so credit to him for holding his nerve. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you look at the way that, um, you know, the championship's gone so far this season and how, I guess, last year, when you look back at last year, the results that ultimately crueled Vettel's charge, I guess, this year he's had a lot of bad luck, you could say, more so than Lewis Hamilton, even though after Austria we're led to believe that Hamilton's having the harsh end of the stick, you could say, um, even though he's had the one retirement to his name. Um Vettel's just had a lot of things go wrong for him, not of his own doing, unfortunately. So I guess when this sort of result comes and he gets the lead, or whether it's a one-point lead or whatever, it's quite significant. And then, yeah, going into the next race uh, with Silverstone, you know, he's going to need an, a race win to solidify that position. So, But I guess also probably a star of the day too which we'll talk about driver of the day, like I've already given it away now, um, Kimi Raikkonen P2. Like, he's been under a lot of pressure, of course, about his um, position next year, whether he's going to stay at Ferrari, whether he goes to another team or not, and um, will he be in Formula 1 or not? So, to get that second in the end was pretty good. The fact that, you know, he was closing in on Verstappen at the end of the race, you know, if the race was a few more laps, could he have got him? But yeah, you know, Ferrari and, I guess, Verstappen to a certain degree... Both really good on their tyres, light on the rubber. The Ferrari, I guess, inherently has been, apart from Barcelona, the only time that they really had tyre troubles. Um, yeah, so far this year, they've been really strong on those Pirellis. It just shows you in tandem with the, that compound change up, the, the width there, the, the um, diameter, whatever you want to call it, Spain, France, now this weekend at uh, Silverstone, the way that it fluctuates from how we saw Ferrari really struggling the, the week prior, 
at Paul Ricard to, to hear as much as they mightn't have had the raw pace in qualifying in the early stages of that race. Uh, when it comes to endurance, they really are able to, to hang on and really get better as the race progresses. Yeah, exactly. So solid result for Kimi there in second as well, not too far behind Verstappen in the end, and then Vettel the third too. So, uh, but when you look at the best of the rest now, and I guess uh, I call them the Austrian Avengers because uh, Haas were able to avenge that result they lost in Australia, which you touched on earlier with Ferrari being the benefactors in that situation because um, in their 50th Grand Prix, they got their team best result, you know, both Roman Grosjean and, yes, I said it, Roman Grosjean in the points for the first time in 2018 and Kevin Magnussen too so Grosjean fourth you know which is Haas's best result since they've come into Formula One and then Magnussen equaling that Bahrain result of fifth as well so a solid uh, outing for Haas both cars able to convert their top 10 starts to top 10 finishes uh, top five finishes sorry yeah a long time coming particularly for, for Grosjean Magnussen's been uh, really consistent with flying under the radar he's just accumulated points and, and being fairly clean apart from the odd skirmish here or there gets his elbows out and qualifying and whatnot you hear about him on, on team radio a lot of people pointing fingers but for Grosjean he's been front and centre for, for the balance of the season to date and you can say that he's been building to this probably since uh, Monaco he's kept a lower profile and been unlucky not to, to get inside the top 10 for a few races for this one. He got a bit of luck, that's uh, for sure, but he was in the right place for the entire weekend there, and you can just hope this is what he needs just to get his head back in the, the right spot and, and uh, deliver on the, the promise we all thought... Uh, well, even though that uh, the word is that likely Grosjean's going to be out at the end of this year from Haas, um, you know, he's still got to get those results under his belt to, I guess, find himself a position on the grid next year. Otherwise, you know, that may not happen for the senior Frenchman. So, yeah, you know, milestone event for Haas, milestone event for Force India, scoring points as well with Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon, 7th and 6th for those guys. So that was their 200th Grand Prix since they became Force India back in 2008. So it's been a, a long time, a lot of bridge under the water. Yet to win a race, of course, but they've had six podiums, I think, under their belt. And, of course, you know, even though they're celebrating that milestone, their uh, future still seems pretty clouded as far as you know what's going on with the ownership of the team we've got VJ Malia present at the British Grand Prix this weekend the only race he is allowed to attend of course but um, yeah you know are we going to see new owners take over that team sooner or later or are they going to suffer the same fate as a matter did uh, when they went into administration Be there when we emerge on the other side of a European 
summer break, as much as they've been such a mainstay in the, the top half of the points of the past three or four years? Yeah, that is going to be a great shame because of the stubbornness of uh, certain individuals that a great team like Force India would have to, to collapse in that sort of fashion. So we hope that's not the case. And uh, we'll see you know, what happens over the coming weeks as well because the mid-season break is, as you say, around the corner. So... Um but I guess it was it was a good day all round for everyone in the points because we had both Sauber's also in the points for the first time I think since 2015 that both Sauber cars um, have done that. So we had uh, Charles Leclerc again, um, P8 or whatever. P9. Sorry, P9. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, Fernando Alonso from pit lane to P8, I guess, a, a casual drive he had. Um, great battle, I guess, he had with the Saubers at the end. So, you know, P9 for Ericsson and P10, sorry for Leclerc, not P8. But, uh, yeah, Charles Leclerc's point, points uh, run continues through. So he's just continued to impress, impress by the day. And I guess... He always seems to get involved with Alonso for some reason, which I guess will be training him pretty well. And you can see for Sauber, there was a bit of a camaraderie there. The fact that uh, Leclerc led Ericsson through in the, the dying lap said to have a run at uh, Alonso, and he came close, but ultimately he uh, stayed true to his word there and, and pulled aside there. So Leclerc got that uh, ninth back at the line, and for Ericsson, just a good confidence boost for him to see that. Uh, as much as Leclerc's been the talk of the town, they've got a legitimate uh, two-car team there, and it's quite staggering how rapidly by the race they seem to be growing in confidence to a point where you never know. They could be um, at the stage where maybe a Force India or, or dare we say, McLaren, Renault are, where they've got both cars in the points more often than not. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I guess the gradual rise of Sauber, and that's why I think I said a couple of weeks ago, if next year is not going to be the year for Leclerc to move to Ferrari, perhaps staying at Sauber might not be a bad idea, given the fact that this team is really developing really fast and could become those regular points um, scorers like they were in a 2012, for example, um, when they were on the podium as well uh, on a semi-regular basis. So that would be a sight to see Sauber back on the podium. Yeah, exactly. So I guess overall, uh, coming out of Austria, Vettel leads the championship by one point, heading to Silverstone, which we'll touch on now a bit later. Of course, drivers of the day, I sort of already dropped the hint that uh, Kimi Raikkonen was uh, the pick for me, even though he didn't really gain any positions off the line, as he hasn't done all season long, you know, to, to yeah, hang in there. He had about three bites at the cherry, though, and clearly he Exactly, but uh, yeah, solid result for him and the fact that, you know, the race win could have been there. He, he's he got that mind frame too when you hear him talk that, yeah, he's he's disappointed even though he's in second, the fact that, you know, he could have had the win on hand. So it just goes to show you still got that hunger. Yeah, I think uh, it's growing more evident as much as it's in line with that speculation about Leclerc joining Ferrari as soon as 2019 that he's as competitive as ever and you wouldn't begrudge Raikkonen if he was given a 
another season as much as Leclerc probably is ready the way he's going his rate of progression he's not going to be out of his depth regardless but I think for the Finn uh, this little uh, running joke about when you'll if you'll ever get another victory you can really feel that it's only a matter of now not not if but when as long as he can show that he's legitimately in that kind of form and, and Ferrari doesn't go and um, sabotage him for the betterment of, of Vettel then he fully deserves some sort of yeah, so Kimmy, your pick as well then, or did you have anyone else in mind? Kimmy just nudging Grosjean all around, not the fact that he was mind-blowingly quick, but just for the fact that it um, been such a, a long time coming for him to be up there, and hopefully it just means that he can put the, the woes of the first third of the season to rest. Yeah, exactly, so we hope that uh, we see more from Grosjean as with Raikkonen, so let's quickly go over the digest then as well, because we've got still plenty more to discuss, and I guess the big news coming into the British Grand Prix weekend is that uh, there's going to be changes, or there has been changes at McLaren, with Eric Boudier uh, announcing that he will be resigning, effective immediately, so he's not actually present in um, at Silverstone with McLaren. We've got um, Gilda Ferran, who I guess in partnership with IndyCar and whatnot now at McLaren as an advisor this year has stepped up into like a more senior role and Andrea Stella as well who followed Fernando Alonso over from Ferrari in 2015 has got that uh, trackside role that I guess Bullier did in, in effect have before so you know the heads are starting to roll, of course, but is that is that mean there are going to be any changes? You talked about it in a in an article that uh, this matrix structure that they've got there at McLaren could that be perhaps hurting them? I mean, like you know, the results this year haven't shown progress, even though they've switched from Honda to Renault, they've gone backwards, you could say, uh, in this middle part of the season. So what's got to give? You know, will the change in ownership or sorry leadership actually make some kind of an impact? and who might have, have certain responsibilities so they all just drift along in, in mediocrity and, and you hope that these these guys here clearly they're they're very talented and they have the, the right pedigree but as long as it, again the responsibility won't be too much for them to, to handle and then they'll have too much to deal with you, you do have to wonder that again it's going to be something where this season 2019 2020 is probably going to have to be sacrifice just to to get the right um, structure in place the right mindset there's no point rushing the process here because then they're just going to be in the the long term um, continuing to drift as we see with with Williams how they've gone back to where they were before they started the Mercedes partnership and that that's another story but for McLaren that talk as well about how this might put the brakes on the IndyCar program perhaps this will allow them to divert full attention and resource back towards making Formula One work. Yeah, the only time I said that, you know, it'd be great to see them go off to do indie cars and also uh, endurance racing was if it didn't come at the cost of their F1 program, which now clearly them saying that we're going to put that on the on the hold for now means that, yeah, you know, they've got to focus all that resource and attention over to the uh, F1 side of things, which is their core business. So they've got to fix that first before they can go racing anywhere else. And it's just a shame when you see that after 
you know, making the decision to ditch Honda, Cody Renault, that even still, it hasn't yielded the result. Like, not saying that they're going to be winning every race, but like, just get get themselves regularly scoring points, qualifying in the top 10 or just on the fringes of the top 10. I mean, you know, Van Dorn, and, Van Dorn got eliminated in Q1, I think, in uh, Austria again. So, and this time as well in Silverstone. So, it's just... Yeah, you know, the Bucks got to stop with someone, I guess. And now that, you know, Zach Brown perhaps has got more of a responsibility over the team. So, you know, it's all on him now to make sure things work. Responsibilities, but for where McLaren was at, so they, they have to collectively make sure that they um they know their place. And again, it's very complicated. I think it's it's hard for outsiders to, to really pinpoint where the issues are, but they've just been been drifting for many years, really, since the I guess you could say the call was made to uh, to go to Honda and the whole design mindset when Martin Whitmarsh went down another road after twenty twelve, and then the coup between. Yeah, exactly. So a bit of stability would be nice for that team, but uh, more on McLaren another time, I'm sure. Uh, we had the date for the Australian Grand Prix next year announced as well this week um, with an early date, which is, I guess, to our benefit, of course, being in mid-March as opposed to the uh, right at the end of March. So it's uh, 14th to the 17th next year, I guess. And I guess the reasons uh, for that earlier date, perhaps to avoid that clash with round one of the AFL, even though I guess they both sort of work in tandem with each other. But, you know, F1 being on its standalone weekend, uh, perhaps with better weather as well earlier in the month. And, you know, perhaps this could mean that we have a longer season as well next year with some new races being added to the calendar. Denmark and Zandvoort and uh, Vietnam, just to mention a few, that that would clearly um, be meaning they're going to have their hands full, but I think for Australia that talk that they'll give a fortnight's break to that Bahrain, China, uh, back-to-back little um, doubleheader afterwards, and of course that, that notion that the third event of the season, most likely to be at China, can't forget be the thousand. Yeah, exactly. So it's hard to believe we're getting to that milestone there, 1,000 Grand Prix coming up uh, for the third race of next season. If, of course, it is the third Grand Prix of the season, we haven't seen, sorry, we haven't seen the calendar yet for 2019, but we assume that it will be. Um, Big news actually came out of Supercars Land um, just on Thursday, sorry, so Friday. Uh, Craig Lowndes is announcing his retirement from full-time driving, and this caught everyone off guard. A big shock, considering he still has a year left on his contract with Triple Eight for next year to be racing full-time, but he wants to step back uh, to a co-driver's role for 2019 and beyond. He wants to do media work. 
and I guess we'll talk about him a bit later. But yeah, it was it was shocking news to 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 see. Like he's had a bit of a rena- renaissance in form, a renaissance of form this year. He won a race which he didn't do last year. Of course, he's been on the podium. He's sitting fourth in the championship. And just when you think that the relationship with a new engineer is starting to work, you know, he goes and drops this bombshell. Yeah, well, you know, I guess if it was, you could say perhaps if it wasn't his call, you could say he could uh, ditch the whole loyalty thing and find another team to race with next year if it meant being full-time on the grid. But perhaps there's an element of the fact that, yeah, he's uh, he feels that it's time for him to step back from full-time driving and just focus on those endurance drives and perhaps racing in other categories. So we'll talk a bit about Lands anyway a bit later. Uh, wrapping up the Digest, uh, Assen Grand Prix uh, last week with MotoGP, an absolute thriller of a race, 100-plus overtakes, the top six battling with each other for the entire race. It almost seemed like it was a Moto3 race, and in the end, it was Mark Marquez who triumphed. Alex Rins ended up coming second on the Suzuki. He was way back and ended up fighting himself on the podium, and then Maverick Vinales as well, breaking that uh, drought of podiums for Yamaha to, to finish third. So it was a thrilling race, really exciting to watch, leading into the Austrian Grand Prix. Yeah, and I guess all the other excitement, you had Lorenzo from ninth to first after four corners, and then Rossi giving him a, a little gentle nudge, you could say. Almost took, the whole re- almost took the whole rear off. So clearly that was a close call, and both of them ending up further down the pack. So you can see Lorenzo's got that newfound confidence after multiple victories, but as, as far as leaving it all out there, they, they certainly have... <laughs> They're made of something different and almost on a race-by-race basis now. It just leaves those fans with their their mouths wide for some of the theatrics they pull off. And, and you wonder how they don't have more collisions, to be honest. They're just very skilled and they, they give each other the right amount of space and um, just full respect to them for the show. Anyone who does attend a live race there they're getting full value for money yeah i guess both races over the weekend in MotoGP and in f uh, the f1 the grand prix in austria both were really really exciting races so you know we were really treated last time out so hopefully the british grand prix this weekend can provide that as well and i guess yeah the third race in as many weeks uh the triple header concluding finally and as you said at the top that uh, the teams and drivers are all going to be pretty tired as well coming out of this and there was talk to during the week that it's uh, from Liberty Media that it seems unlikely next year we're going to have that uh, triple header uh, again it, I guess it was only there this year because of a World Cup clash or whatever so the fact that yeah you know next year we'll be back to just having back to back weekends as opposed to three weekends on the bounce it's going to make everyone rest a bit easier yeah you can see logistically yeah, they're in a tight spot and there's a lot of criticism actually coming Liberty's way between that scheduling and the actual um, weekend schedule, the way that it, it might overlap with particular World Cup fixtures, mainly in England there, when, when they have these kickoffs such as yesterday, uh, 
for British uh, Grand Prix qualifying the first five minutes or so with that red flag as well, delaying proceedings further and, and how that uh, cannibalised the audience. You can say that there's only so much you can do. You can't pause the season when there's 21 races for a month or so and we've <coughs> got the, uh, the concrete schedule, that June-July block, the way it transitions all through Europe before that break. So they've got the time to have that four-week um, real... Uh, you can say quite necessary break for them to have a four weeks just so they can pull their heels and next year there'll be a much more um, workable calendar. Well, you know, that's... The way that that's being criticised, Liberty being criticised is unfair. Like any punter who watches any sport can come out and says, oh, well, that clashes with something else I'm watching, so clearly they've done it all wrong. It's, you know, it's, it's uh, like, as important as the World Cup is and everything, like, who knew that England would have even made it to this stage anyway? So it's not like, oh, you could have foresaw that. So, yeah, the criticism just seems a bit um, uncalled for, you could say. It's like, you know, let's say... For example, we had the Japanese Grand Prix somehow clash with the AFL Grand Final. Oh, there goes your Australia. They've got to reschedule that um, to suit the Australian audience. Yeah, so they. So there you go. Two big races clashing with each other: the Japanese Grand Prix and the ba- Bathurst One Thousand. You don't hear us criticizing Liberty Media for that that sort of scheduling. So again, the British seem a bit parochial. You could seem. Uh, parochial it seems with everything you know that benefits it's all got to benefit them basically so yeah it's just a bit of typical pom whinging i'd say in regards to that oh yeah try watching ten past eleven yeah, exactly. So 10 past 11 seems pretty tame compared to 10 past 1 for the our Kiwi brothers. But yeah, it just seems a bit, you know, a bit uncalled for that criticism anyway. But let's get back to the British Grand Prix. So can anyone stop the Mercedes Lewis Hamilton juggernaut, of course? So Mercedes have won their five years on a bound, on the bounce uh, with Nico Rosberg's win in 2013. And then Lewis Hamilton has had four from four over the last four years. So and he's on pole position too by the faintest of margins over the Ferraris. I mean, you were saying that pole was for Ferrari, basically, but, you know, that extra hundredth of a second that Hamilton had over Sebastian Vettel was just uh, pretty ridiculous. You have to wonder how much of that was down to Vettel's neck issue there from uh, third practice. He did well just to, to make it out there for quality, and clearly with the G-forces you experienced, imagine through Cops, Maggots and Beckets what he, the load would be. So clearly that... That could have been where Hamilton, you can see, made up that time and perhaps Vettel just couldn't withstand the the threshold there. And I think he did a, a good job in the circumstances to be within half a tenth of a second. And clearly Kimi Raikkonen himself was uh, really on it. And again, just lacking that all, all-round lap performance is the only thing which probably denied him from what would have been an amazing pole. Well, he did say that he locked the brakes, I think, going into the penultimate corner, so that ultimately might have cost him that uh, little hundredth or whatever that he was behind Hamilton, but you were saying those corners before. This year, it seems they're taking a lot more of those corners flat out, and of course, that addition of the third DRS zone too, so it's making for a pretty quick lap, you could say, and uh, a lot more uh, full throttle. We've seen some track modifications too, with some sausage curbs installed to stop drivers 
abusing track limits and you know in Austria I guess the circumstance like the uh, the consequences are a lot more punishing than they've been this weekend in Silverstone so look at turn one I forget the, the corner but uh, certainly the Wellington straight as well it's been uh, very much high attrition for the likes of Grosjean for Hartley for both Williams they're coming croppers in qualifying and all of them, the, the rear loads on the tyres the or suspension, as we saw in the case of, of Hartley, it's, it's very demanding. Yeah, that crash for Brendan Hartley, almost reminiscent of Sebastian Boemi's uh, little incident in China with the suspension just failing. And um, I guess it wasn't as spectacular as as uh, Boemi, but yeah, it was pretty scary for, for Hartley, who seems to not be able to get a trick so far this season. So this, of course, is the last race too, where Pirelli have those lower tread depths on uh, their tyres for the race. It's the first time we've seen the hard compound tyre as well in action for 2018. And all the talk is that, yeah, we could expect a two-stop strategy given the abrasive nature of the track given how bumpy it is so with i guess multiple stops forecast i guess this should be uh pretty interesting to see how people will fare and uh given what happened to mercedes last week in austria you know is there going to be pressure on them to make the right call this time Yeah, so testament to Lewis Hamilton being emotional after the race. So, um, yeah, given that the track conditions are going to be very hot and Ferrari can manage their rubber a lot better, you know, I wouldn't rule them out of this race either. And as you were saying, a matter of when... Um, matter of when basically for Kimi Raikkonen could he potentially look at winning his first race of the season at Silverstone as well uh Ferrari last one here of course in 2011 with Fernando Alonso uh whilst Sebastian Vettel has not won here since 2009 one of his early wins there in the Red Bull so he doesn't really seem to do too well around Silverstone but you know I guess he can change that trend like he's done with a couple of races this season Again, it's what it's going to come down to. So it's always weighing up uh, within 
the race weekend versus the overall context of the championship. Yeah, exactly. And I guess uh, talking about Valtteri Bottas again, is and when is his luck going to ch- finally change? Because Austria, he had pole position, he lost the lead of the lead at the first corner to his teammate, and then to be crueled by another retirement. I guess you know he's the only guy in the top six to not have a win to his name now that Verstappen won in Austria. So where does his luck change? Yeah, it's hard to think. You honestly could say Bottas probably probably could have had two victories this season at least, which would have put him within maybe 10 points of the, the lead two guys. And then, you know, the points they would have uh, not had if Bottas had taken victories. He'd be arguably in a three-way fight. And now he finds himself down in sixth. And you'd think on the surface of it that he's really languishing. But it's almost the case can be made. He's been... After his little uh, blip at Australia, he's been the most consistent driver when he's been on track. Yeah, when he's been on track, that is. So hopefully his luck could change this weekend. It's He starts from fourth, of course, in the race. So, you know, it's just sad when you see a driver who's as good as Bottas not get those results. And uh, I guess Mercedes leaning towards retaining both drivers for next year, Hamilton and Bottas, to continue oh, that partnership. I, I think Mercedes would more than lean towards keeping Hamilton. As far as Bottas goes, he certainly deserves it. No, after after criticising the engineer, that's it. You know, they're going to cut the ties. So, yeah, that's that's it for Lewis. Sorry. But um, it's a home race for the large percentage of teams as well. So... <laughs> Sorry, um, large percentage of the teams is their home race, so there's going to be expectations on them to deliver in front of their home uh, home audience, of course. You know, McLaren, Williams languishing at the back. Force India, they've got their boss here this weekend. So uh, you'd be hoping for some good results for those guys, but yeah, should be a good race overall, you'd hope. Yeah, and just the way that this weather has been sensational brings back memories of my own pilgrimage there in 2010 and probably a bit of a chastening experience going from the depths of of winter here into what was a a heat wave for the uk 31 32 degrees is like them being on the the sun you could say and certainly felt the effects of that for a week or so afterwards but the whole weekend when the sun is there everyone's having a a blast and and that'll probably have an impact with that uh, the temperature we did see in qualifying 50 two degrees track surface that, that definitely had a, a role to play i think the way that the the tire compounds ended up being affected as the, the session progressed yeah sunny silverstone as it is and i guess the british weather has actually come to uh the four for once this time so it's really good to see that so um that's it for silverstone i guess uh we'll do sport our sporting moments of the week um and i guess this week we're dedicating this little section to Craig Lowndes and his illustrious career in Aussie motorsport. Now, given the fact that, I guess, he's retiring from full-time driving, but he'll still be driving as an endurance driver, we're still going to see him and everything, but I guess it's just give it, it gives us time to reflect on the career that he has had, you know, which has spanned, you could say, I like to think two generations worth He it's spanned because, you know, of course, he was there in the 90s where he was the kid and everything, and well, then... He was like the dedi- um dedicated you'd say he was a chosen successor to peter brock and now you see like the handover he's got to a scott mclaughlin yeah exactly so the fact that you know he he was there as the kid in the 90s or whatever and then in through the 2000s so more than two decades um worth 
of racing under his belt, the success that he's had, six Bathurst 1000 victories, two, uh, sorry, yeah, three uh, Supercars championships as well, over a century of race wins. He and Jamie Wincup, of course, are the only drivers to have achieved over 100 wins in the category. So, um, and yeah, at the age of 44, he's still going. It's just, what an incredible driver. And you do think it's one of those moments where you, you get the unique individuals that you can't imagine a sport being without, whether it's in football or cricket or motorsport, whichever discipline it is. So it's just a hard one to get your head around when you, when you do think how different the paddock will be next season when he's not that permanent presence. But he, I guess he won't be lost, as we mentioned there earlier. He'll, he'll be there in the, the Supercars Broadcasting Fraternity and then the Enduro Cup. So it's not like he's going off on some Australian-wide tour never to be heard of again as some maybe sporting greats like a Tony Lockett say they like the life of obscurity so uh, he's going to be uh, still there in plentiful supply but as far as looking back on what he's done in that full-time presence uh, it's just that he's involved in so many of those moments that go down in supercars history yeah exactly and um, I guess on a personal level you could probably you'd probably agree with me and say that seeing him win Bathurst in 2015 was um Certainly a highlight of uh, uh, watching him throughout his career uh, with Stephen Richards winning that race. It was a, a, an eventful race as it was, but, um, you know, creating a bit of magic around the mountain. They always associate Lowndes with Bathurst as well. And I guess uh, this year he has a shot of winning his seventh, of course, and he's only three wins away from equaling Peter Brock's record as well. And you say, talk about that um, relationship that he had with Brock and the likeliness between the two the the people's champion of course man of the people so you know it's uh yeah a bit sad that we see a driver like uh, Lowndes hang up the helmet full-time but of course he still has plenty of shots at, at Bathurst to see if he can equal his his great friend and mentor's record and it'd be nice to see him at least bow out on a, a note where he's still quite competitive with the regular fighting for podiums and, and race victories rather than being in the sad position maybe look at Formula One with a a Jensen Button or a Fernando Alonso where they're just uh, really pale imitations of their former selves more so because of m machinery and they just retire or well, I guess for jumping the gun on Alonso but sooner than later just very jaded with the process and Lowndes will probably at least maybe get another couple of victories in his own right before he hangs up the caper. Yeah, perhaps Bathurst this year could be one to look out for if he could win that one alongside Richo as well. Again, whether the championship is there for the taking or not, you'd probably say realistically it's not this year. But uh, yeah, winning those key races I think are going to be crucial, whether it's a Sandown, Bathurst or Newcastle, something like that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's great to, to look back at those memories, of course. And, you know, he'll be doing more GT racing of course he said that Le Mans is an ambition of his as well which would be great to see he already does the Bathurst 12 hour on a regular basis and of course I got the the privilege to see him win one of those as well last year with uh Jamie Windcup Tony Verlander for the Ferrari team so you know it's 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 always great to see Craig Lowndes behind the wheel of a car and if you haven't seen him you know do yourself a favor and go to one of the remaining supercars races this year and see him just whether it's uh, for a victory or whatever just you've got to see him uh, steer that thing in the flesh to see uh, what it's all about yeah just everything about him just the, the personality and charisma he, 
He's got everything you could want, marketability-wise. Um, they don't grow on trees, and you can see that it's probably going to be a, a Scott McLaughlin, you would think, that, that just has that all-around package, and now he's coming into his own right as a driver where they're just um, clearly there's something that raises them above the rest of the competition. Well, approachability-wise as well, Lance is probably one of the best drivers to go up to for an autograph and to get a photo. He has so much time for the fans, as did Brock as well, from what we are led to believe. So, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's he's the complete package, the people's champion, as I like to say. to be given to him there for, for taking that leap out of the, the sanctuary of uh, HRT where he had his uh, all of his three titles and um, he got so close on probably four or five occasions with with Ford and then again a few near misses when they transitioned Triple Eight to Holden in the uh, uh, 2010 onwards but it wasn't quite meant to be but it certainly doesn't mean that he lost any of the edge that he had in the first part of his career. Yeah, no, not at all. So I guess on that note, we'll wrap things up. Um, it's uh, It'll be a pleasure to watch all the remaining races this year in the championship and hopefully he can win a few more. So yeah, as far as uh, supercars and, and um, F1 is concerned, we've got a busy uh, few hours ahead before the British Grand Prix. So thanks for joining us and we'll, we'll be back at our regular Thursday time next week anyway. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you guys next week. Quick shout out finally to uh, Dion on the, the running front. He cracked the sub 225 egg last weekend at Gold Coast. That was a big one to, to get off the box. Suffering now with a bit of a blister, but it was all worthwhile and much satisfaction. So well done there. Yeah, cool. Good result with the, the Gold Coast thing there. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you guys next week. Sweet.